okay so hi everyone uh, welcome to the session again and today we'll be continuing our webinar on ccna the ccna accelerator so in the last session we were discussing uh, we discussed some concepts related to the spanning tree protocol how it works and what is the manual working of it so we looked into the internals of stp now the next thing that will be moving on to the ip subnetting the classful ipv4 networks analyzing the subnet mask the ipv4 addresses and static routes understanding ospf concepts right so let's start with the subnetting part right so what is subnetting guys how will you define subnetting when i'm talking about an ip subnet so we when we are talking about a subnet right so it is simply a subset of class a b or c network right and word subnet is a shortened version of subdivided network right let's say one subnet of class b 172.16.0.0 right this one could be the set of all ip address that uh, begins with 172.16.1 and would include 172.16.1.0 1.1 1.2 and so on right up till 255 right then another subnet of the same class can be 172.16.2.0 it will start from 2 right that is another subnet right so here we can see 172.16.1 is the network right which is coming to a router then 172.16.3 172.16.2 16 16.4 16.5 right so these are different subnets now when i'm saying subnetting right so how we do it and why we do it right now when we are doing subnetting we are dividing the network into smaller parts that we know right now what we have to find out that which hosts are in which subnet so every device that connects to an ip network it needs to have an ip address now these devices they include computers used by end users servers mobile phones laptops ip phones tablets networking devices like uh, routers switches and firewalls right so any device that uses ip to send and receive packets needs an ip address now the ip address must be assigned according to some basic rules and for good reasons right so to make routing work efficiently ip address rules group addresses into groups called subnet right and there are two rules right the first one is the addresses in the same subnet they are not separated by a router right and addresses in the different subnet are separated by at least one router now we have to find out 
how many host can be there in one subnet right so let's understand this thing when the internet was young and IP addressing was new so what we used to do we used to break IP addresses into classes right now how many classes are there in total five classes are there out of which class a b and c are usable right only these classes are used to give ip addresses to the users perfect now when i say that we used to break ip addresses into classes so what we used to do right let's understand it here the subnetting part right so we have different classes right class a class b class c class d and class e right now class a is having ip addresses ranging from 1 to 126 now that means 1.0.0.0 till 126.255.255.255 right same like that class b is having ip addresses from 128.0.0.0 till 128 till 191.255.255.255 yes now class c 192 dot zero dot zero dot zero till till where two two three dot two five five dot two five five dot two five five right class d is also there now class d is used for multicasting right now <coughs> class d ip addresses are from two two four dot zero dot zero dot zero two two four till two three nine right dot two five five dot two five five dot two five five then there is class e right class e is having ip addresses from two four zero till two five five dot 255.255.255 yes when i'm talking about these classes every class it has a subnet mask yes now what is subnet mask we know what is subnet small part of a network what is a subnet mask now subnet mask does what subnet mask separates the host bits to the network bits so subnet mask is the way by which we can define how many hosts can be there in this subnet right so by default when we were doing ip addressing right so we were doing 
classful IP addressing right now in this the subnet mask was 255.0.0.0 for class B it was 255.255.0.0 right then for class C it was 255.255.255.0 right this is the subnet mask right so the place where 255 is written these are network bits and the place where 0 is written those are host bits clear yes now I'll give you guys a task as well uh, after I tell you how to do it right now the thing is let's say we have a subnet mask of class C I pick up the subnet of class C right so the subnet mask of class C is right now any IP address when I'm talking about IP address every IP address it is in this is a site like it's of two types right version 4 and IP version 6 right so right now we are talking about IP version 4 so what is the size of IP version 4 Now why 32 bits? A IP address looks like this. Let's say I'm taking one IP address 192.168.175.147. Right? This is the IP address. So this place is called an octet. Right? Octet, oct means 8. So every octet is of 8 bits. And there are 4 octets. Right? 1, 2, 3, and 4 right so 8 plus 8 plus 8 plus 8 that makes 32 so that's why the size of ip version 4 is 32 bits now behind these octets like this is a class b octet right uh, ip address so now I've, I've taken subnet mask of class c right four octets uh, are there in the subnet mask as well right so we will be doing what we'll be expanding this subnet mask right so as i said oct means 8 so what it will be having it will be having every octet 8 bits right so let's start with this 1 2 3 4 5 6 7 8 dot 1 2 3 4 5 6 7 8 then 1 2 3 4 5 6 7 8 
3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8. Right? Now, how we start the numbering? We start the numbering from 2 raised to the power 0. So, here it will be 2 raised to the power 0, 2 raised to the power 1, right? 2 raised to the power 2, 2 raised to the power 3, 2 raised to the power 4, 2 raised to the power 5, 2 to the power 6, and 2 to the power 7. So, in all the octets, this will go on, right? From 2 raised to the power 0 till 2 raised to the power 7, right? Now, let's write the normal numbers. So, 2 raised to the power 0 is 1. 2 raised to the power 1, 2. 2 square, 4. 2 cube, 8. 2 raised to the power 4, 16. 2 raised to the power 5, 32. Right? Then, 2 raised to the power 6, 64. And 2 raised to the power 7, 128. Right? Same here, 1. 2, 4, 8, 16, 32, 64, 128, 1, 2, 4, 8, 16, 32, 64, 128. These are all the octets of your subnet. We never do the calculation on IP addresses. We always do the calculation on subnets, right? Right now, we have 255.255.255. Now, here, you should remember that 0 means off and 1 means on. Right? So, 1, 1, 1, 1, 1, 1. If all the bits in an octet are on, so, all the on bits you have to add up, whatever number is written below it, right? So, here it's written 128. So, 128 plus 64 plus 32 plus 16 plus 8 plus 4 plus 2 plus 1 because all the bits are on, right? So, a total of all of them becomes 255. That's why here it is written 255, right? Now, by looking at any subnet mask, you can find out that what is written right so the second octet you, we can see the second octet also has 255 written so that means all the bits are on here as well right then in the third octet also 255 is written that means all the octets are on here right and in the last octet you can see dot zero is written so all the bits are zero that's why the output is zero right so all these on bits the ones that you can see these are your network bits all the zeros are your host bits now if you want to find out that in any subnet of class c how many ip addresses we can put or how many hosts we can add right so you just have to follow a formula right now the formula is 2 raised to the power n minus 2 right where n equals to number of
zeros right so how many zeros are there in this subnet 1 2 3 4 5 6 7 8 so 8 zeros so 2 raised to the power 8 minus 2 so 2 raised to the power 8 is 256 minus 2 right now 256 minus 2 254 so in class C subnet you can have 254 hosts You are working into uh, networking and uh, it it is asked from you that you have uh, you have to purchase 30 new IP addresses right so what you saw you saw all the classes right then in classes you see that the least number of zeros are in class C so you will pick up an IP address of class C right so let's say you picked up an IP address as 192.11.1.0 from here it will start right so you uh, all the calculation was done and after this calculation like the default subnet mask for class C is 255.255.255.0 right that means we can see the first three octets are on so we put 1111111 in every octet in the first three octets right now in the last octet all the one all all are zeros right so we found that we got 254 ip addresses right but i needed only 30 now you needed 30 you you are getting 254 that means 224 ip addresses were getting wasted So that was a lot of wastage of IP addresses. So we have to minimize the wastage, right? So what we did, we moved to something which is known as classless IP addressing. Now class less IP addressing, what was the change? The change was like all the things were same. Right? All these things were same. But now this time this subnet mask that we talked about, this subnet mask was dynamic. So let's see this classless now five classes class A class B 
class C class D and class A right now class A 1 to 126 right class B 128 to 191 right class C 192 till 223 then class D 224 till 239 right and class E 240 till 255 right now we know the subnet mask 255.0.0.0 for class A then 255.255.0.0 for class B and 255.255.255 dot zero for class C now there came one new thing which was known as CIDR now CIDR stands for classless inter domain routing right now in this classless inter domain routing it is a notation right now in this subnet or in this notation what we do we write the subnet mask in slash notation right so check out this right this is the subnet mask in front of you now in this subnet whole subnet mask can you tell me how many on bits are there eight by looking at 255 we know all the bits that are on are eight so instead of writing this 255.0.0.0 we'll write slash 8 right same like that in the second one two octets have 255 written so one octet is has 8 bits right that means here we'll write slash 16 right then the third one right it has three first three octets on so slash 24 because 8 plus 8 plus 8 is 24 so this is the notation now the thing is this CIDR it is dynamic that means before we were not able to change the start uh, subnet mask of an IP address right but now we have the ability to do this so we'll see how we can do that now let's say again we picked we have uh, a need of 30 IP addresses yes now having we are having the need of 30 IP addresses so we'll pick up class C in class C we have 255.255.255.0 right so 1 2 3 4 5 6 7 8 one two three four five six seven eight right one two three 
four, five, six, seven, eight, and one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. Right. Now let's do the numbering. One, two, four, eight, thirty-two, sixty-four, one twenty-eight. Right. Same here. One, two, four, eight. 16 32 64 and 128 right now we know that all the subnets all the octets first three octets they have all the bits on right because 255 is written right and if you add all the on bits in one octet in any octet 128 plus 64 plus 32 plus 16 plus 8 plus 4 plus 2 plus 1 so it becomes 255 that's why we have put all the bits on right same here in the third octet also it is written 255 so what i will do i'll put the third octet bits as on also right now the next thing is that if let's say i want 30 ip addresses right so in class full ip addressing we were getting how many To 54 IP addresses we were getting. We need 30 only, right? So what we do? In the last octet, all, all of them, like all the bits, they were zeros. Now what we have to do, we have to find out a number which is near to the number of IPs we need. We need 30 IPs and a number near to 30 I got is 32 here, right? So till 32, I will put the bits on. 1 1 1 and I'll put others as 0 right so I have what changes I have made to the subnet mask I put three more bits as 1 right now if you apply the formula again 2 raised to the power n minus 2 right so this time n is 1 2 3 4 5 2 raised to the power 5 minus 2 which becomes 32 minus 2 equals to 30. So you need 30 IP addresses. You got 30 IP addresses, right? So it was. We saved the IP addresses, right? Now why we made this minus 2? Let me make you understand that. Now the IP address that we are picking up, it's 192.168.1.0, right? Like this, let's say, right? This is our IP address. So the very first IP address, 192.168.1.0, right? 
then the second one will be 192.168.1.1 right and it will go till 192.168.1.31 right here it will be 192.168.1.30 right so the first IP address is known as network ID right now by this it is defined in which network you are sitting in right and the last IP address this one 31 this is known as broadcast ID that means if I'm any device in the network is sending data to this IP address it will that data will be received by everyone in the network right that is network ID and broadcast ID so that's why from this in this formula we have written minus 2 so we removed the dot 0 and the dot 1 uh, dot 31 the broadcast ID and these are the usable IPs which you can provide to the devices so this is how you do the subnetting right now the thing is that when we are when we talked about the IP and IP addresses right so we use IP version 4 yes now after using IP version 4 what happened we ran out of IP addresses right now why we ran out of IP addresses like the subnetting you are doing and you are finding out how many devices we can add how many hosts we can add the thing is we have in total IP version 4 was giving 4.3 billion IP addresses out of which 3.4 billion IP addresses were usable so now think of it every person the population of the world is 8 billion right let's make it half right let's say that only uh, half of the population is using the devices now nowadays every person has minimum two devices right like uh, a laptop and a mobile phone or two mobile phones or laptop or two mobile phones two laptops two mobile phones like different people for different work like a personal laptop is there and an official laptop is also there so many people they are having multiple devices right so 4 billion people are using even a single device even then we were not able to give the IP address to all the devices now we have smart watches as well smart devices as well which connect over internet protocol right so the thing is we were not having IP addresses we ran out of IP addresses and out of that the thing is we have we moved to IP version 6 
right now what is the size of ip version 6 128 bits so it is 128 bits right now how many ip addresses it can give us so it gives us a total of 340 undecillion ip addresses right which means 340 trillion 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 ip addresses yes and that's a lot now even you don't have to think about the ip addresses getting wasted yep perfect next thing we have heard of private ip addresses what are private ips So let's start talking in terms of public and private IP networks, right? So when we are talking about the internet, the original design of internet required that any company that connected to the internet had to use a registered public IP network. And to do that, the company would complete some paperwork describing the enterprise internet work and the number of hosts existing plus the plans for the growth and after submitting the paperwork the company will receive an assignment of either class a b or c network right now the public ip networks and the administrative processes surrounding them ensure that all the companies that connect to the internet all use unique ip addresses in particular after a public ip network is assigned to a company only that company should use the addresses in that network and that guarantee of uniqueness means that internet routing can work well because there are no duplicate public ip addresses okay if you see this image right company one has been assigned a public class a network 10.0.0 .0 .0. And company two has been assigned public class A network 2.0.0.0. Right now, per the original intent for public addressing in the internet, after these public network assignments have been made, no other companies can use addresses in class A networks 1.0.0.0 or 2.0.0.0. Right. So this original address assignment process make sure unique IP address across the entire planet and the idea is much like the fact that your telephone number should be unique in the universe. Your postal mailing address should also be unique. Your email address should also be unique. So if someone call, calls you, your phone rings but no one else's phone rings. Similarly, if company 1 is assigned class A network and the engineers in company one assign address 1.1.1.1 to a particular PC. That address should be unique in the universe. A packet sent through the internet to destination 1.1.1 should only arrive at this one PC inside company one. 
instead of being delivered to some other host right that was the one way now next let's talk about private right the public ip networks public and private right so now when we are talking about private ip uh, networks when you are using nat network address translation and almost every organizations uh, that connects to the internet it uses nat right network address translation that company can simply pick one or more private ip addresses or networks from the list of reserved private ip network numbers right now from the perspective of making ipv4 work for the entire world private ip networks have helped to preserve and extend ipv4 and its use in every enterprise and throughout the internet was there so in a particular private network it was uh, like improved worldwide by doing what by avoiding using another organization's public address range for private networks right avoiding or delaying the ipv4 address exhaustion reducing the internet routers uh, routing table right so these are the ways by which we have improved the ip version 4 networks perfect now when we are talking about private ip address classes right so in private ip addresses how many classes are there there are th three classes right class a class b and class c right what class a is what ip addresses will be there in class a Ten dot zero dot zero dot zero till ten dot two five five dot two five five dot two five five. Class B is having one seven two dot sixteen dot zero dot zero till one seven two dot thirty one dot two five five dot two five five. Then in class C, the one that we use a lot, 192.168.0.0 till 192.168.255.255, right? So these are the private IP addresses, address classes. So we use private IPs just for communicating inside the network, right? Internally. Now. The next thing we saw we learned about the IP addresses the classes of IP addresses but one thing is missing here which is 
a range of 127 so it's class A is 1 to 126 class B is 128 to 191 but I have not written 127 what is 127 loopback address localhost great so 127 is known as loopback IP right so the whole range of uh, 127 is given to loopback IP right now what does that mean loopback that means this is the IP of your own device your home address which we call right so this loopback IP address is used in troubleshooting times when you are troubleshooting the network when you are not able to access the internet sometimes right so the very first thing which is checked is loopback address right so if you are able to ping this address and you are getting a reply right that means Your TCP IP protocol stack is properly installed in your system. Now the thing is, uh, we discussed about VLANs, remember? Yes, everyone remembers VLANs. Now, when we discussed about VLANs, routing happens in VLANs also. Right? Using IPv4. So, how that happens? Now, when we are talking about VLAN, so almost all the enterprise the networks use VLANs. So to route IP packets in and out of those VLANs, some devices, either routers or layer 3 switches need to have an IP address in each subnet and have a connected route to each of those subnets. Then the IP addresses on those routers or layer 3 switches can serve as a default gateway in those subnets. see uh, let me repeat so to route the IP packets out of the VLANs to in and out of the VLANs like routers or layer 3 switches they need to have IP address in each subnet and they have a connect they should have a connected path to each of those subnets then the IP address on those routers or layer 3 switches can serve as default gateways in those subnets. Now there are four categories of LAN routing. Right? So user router. Right? Uh, let me write. Right? So user router with one router LAN interface and cable connected to the switch for every VLAN typically which is not used right then user router 
with a VLAN trunk. connecting to a LAN switch right which is also known as ROAS ROAS means router on a stick right now other part other thing use a layer 3 switch with switched virtual interfaces right then there is one more possibility user layer 3 switch with routed interfaces Yep, so these are the four ways, right, the by which you can work with the routing of VLAN, right, either use layer 3 switch or use two routers or connect the router to the VLAN's trunk. Okay, now uh, we are going to discuss about the OSPF, right, so before that we have to talk about the dynamic routing protocol features right what is dynamic routing protocol now dynamic routing means see when I'm when we are talking about routing so your data is going from one router to another router right let's say you have this router right here right now this is your router your router will send data to an next router yes when it is sending the data from one router to another router how this router knows your home router knows where and to which router i am sending the data how it gets to know this thing so there is a table inside every router which is known as ip routing table right now that routing table keeps on updating and it has the hop of the next router right the whole internet is connected right so it has what it has a path or it has the information about the next router that where to send the data according to your target right so there can be multiple routers right now according to your target maybe your data your router is sending data to router 2 right you have router 1 right there is r3 there is R4. So maybe uh, your router is sending the data to router 2 or router 3 or maybe router 4 according to the target, right? So the information about these routers are saved inside IP routing table. When this routing table keeps on updating, right? So that is known as dynamic routing, right? In organization, what happens? We have specified a path. So in the routing table, we don't keep it uh, dynamic. We keep it static so that it does not change, 
right i have given an ip address that whenever any data arrives you have to send it to this router only nowhere else right that is static routing now as i said the routers they add their ip path or ip routes to their routing table using three methods right first connected routes right second static routes and third is routes learned by dynamic protocols right so before starting it is important to define few related terms right about the terms routing protocol routed protocol routable protocol right so these are three different things now concepts behind these terms are not that difficult but because the terms are so similar and because uh, many documents i have seen that they pay poor attention uh, to when each of these terms is used so they can be a bit confusing right so the first one is routing protocol so routing protocol is what a set of messages rules and algorithms which are used by router for the overall purpose of learning the routes right and this process includes the exchange and analysis of routing information so each router chooses the best path to each subnet and finally places those best routes in its route ip routing table like we have uh, rip protocol eigrp ospf bgp right now routed protocol next thing is routed protocol right so what is routed routed protocol and routable protocol right now both terms they refer to a protocol which defines a packet structure logical addressing and it allows routers to forward and route the packets right so routers they forward the packets defined by routed and routable protocol like ip version 4 and ip version 6 right so even though routing protocols like ospf are different from routed protocols like ip they do work together very closely and the routing process forwards ip packets but if a router does not have any routes in its routing table that match a packet destination address so router discards the packet right router needs routing protocols so that routers can learn all the possible routes and add them to the routing table so that the routing process can forward routing protocols such as ip right now what are, what is uh, like when i am talking about routing protocol functions right so 
if we talk about routing protocol functions cisco ios the operating system and cisco devices uh, that software supports several routing protocols and they perform the same general functions right like uh, learning the routing information about ip and subnet from neighbor routers advertise routing information about ip subnets to neighboring routers and then if more than one possible path exists to reach one subnet pick the best route based on a metric right and if the network topology changes right let's say a link fails so it reacts by advertising some routes have failed and pick a new currently best route right now in this image if you can see right router one here this one makes a decision about the best route to reach the subnet connected off to router two right so for that router one does what router one advertises a route to the lower right subnet right 192 uh, 172.116.3.0 slash 24 to both router 1 and router 3 after router 3 gets to know about the path to this router 2 router 3 advertises that to router 1 right that this is the path now router 1 must make a decision about the two path it learned for reaching the subnet right with metric 1 from router 2 and one with metric 2 from router 3 so r1 router 1 will choose the lower metric route through router 2 right now the other routing protocol functions uh, like convergence occurs when topology changes so that is when either a router or any link fails or comes back up again right so when something changes the best route available in the network can change so what is convergence we discussed about it so convergence is refers to the process by which all routers collectively realize something has changed and advertise the information about the changes to all the other routers and all the routers then choose the currently best route for each subnet right so the ability to converge quickly without causing loops is one of the most important consideration when you are uh, choosing ip protocol to use right now next thing we have interior and exterior routing protocols right so the ip routing protocols they fall into two major categories right igp interior gateway protocol and exterior gateway protocol right igp is a routing protocol that's that was designed and intended for use inside a single autonomous system egp is a protocol which was designed for uh, use between different autonomous system right so there is a new term autonomous system now autonomous system is a network 
which is under the administrative control of a single organization right so let's say a network which is created and paid for by a single company is a single autonomous system a network which is created by a single school system is probably a single autonomous system right uh, like uh, large divisions of a state or national government where government agencies might be able to build their own networks right that is also autonomous system each internet service provider is also typically a single different autonomous system so some routing protocols they work best inside single autonomous system by design so these routing protocols are called igps right routing protocols which are designed to exchange between uh, exchange routes between routers and different autonomous systems those are called egps right so nowadays one egp is used only which is border gateway protocol bgp right now as we started talking in terms of uh, autonomous systems so each autonomous system can be assigned a number right which is called asn right autonomous system number like public public ip address right the internet assign numbers authority iana we all have heard about iana right they controls the worldwide rights to assigning the asns right and it delegates that authority to other organization around the world right typically to the same organization that assign the public ip addresses right now when we are talking about igps and comparing the igps right so organizations they have multiple options when they are choosing an igp for their enterprise network but most companies today use either ospf or eigrp right now when we are talking about this thing so what happens uh, the igp routing protocol algorithm if we talk about so a routing protocols underlying algorithm tells how the routing protocol performs its job right now routing protocol algorithm it refers to the logic and the processes which are used by different routing protocols and to solve the problem of learning all the routes and choosing the best route to each subnet right and converging in reaction to changes in the network right so there are three main branches of routing protocol algorithm which exist for igp routing protocols right first distance vector right then there is advanced distance vector right and then the last one is link state right 
so distance uh, vector protocols were invented first mainly in the early 1980s i hope right now routing information protocol was the first popularly used ip distance vector protocol right with the cisco proprietary interior gateway routing protocol being introduced a little later right and by early 1990s the distance vector protocol somewhat slow convergence and potential for routing loops drove the development of new alternative routing protocols uh, that use new algorithms right so we uh, we call them link state protocols right so we have ospf for that open shortest path first and is is right so integrated intermediate system to intermediate system right these solve the main issues they also came with a price they required extra cpu memory on routers with more planning required for the network engineers right now around the same time the introduction of ospf right came right so cisco they also created eigrp right eigrp enhanced interior gateway routing protocol which used some features of the earlier igrp protocol and it solved the same problems as did link state routing pro, uh, protocols did but er eigrp it required less planning when you are implementing it in the network so as time went on eigrp was classified as a unique type of routing protocol right though it is uh, used more uh, like distance vector features than link state so it is more commonly classified as an advanced distance vector protocol right now the thing is uh, when we are talking about uh, this the protocols so one main thing which arrives metrics right routing protocols they choose the best path to reach a subnet by choosing the path with the lowest metric right for example this RIP routing information protocol it uses a counter of number of routers between a router and a destination subnet right here you if you can see in this image right now OSPF totals the cost associated with each interface in the end-to-end -end route with the cost based on the link bandwidth right so a brief comparison of the metric used by older rip versus the metric used by ospf it shows some insight into why ospf and eigrp the surpassed rip right so in this image router b has two like paths two possible path to the subnet 10.1.1.0 on the left side of the network a shorter route over a very slow link like uh, bandwidth 1544 
so 1544 kbps is the path or a longer route over a gigabit ethernet wan link right so you can see bandwidth here is fast right so rip uses what as i said rip uses hop count so the left side of the figure shows the results of rip in this network if you can see right using hop count router b learns uh, of a hop one hop route directly to router a right through b's interface right now b also learns of a two hop route through router c right so through b uh, router b chooses the lower hop count route which happens to go over slow speed serial link this one right now routing protocols they can be compared based on many features uh, now the thing is rip if we talk about right is it classless yes and does it sends a mask in updates yes subnet mask it will send right then algorithm which it uses it supports manual summarization yes right uh, is it cisco proprietary protocol no right uh, routing updates they are sent to a multicast ip address yes in rip it happens right convergence it is slow in rip right at the same time if i talk about ospf right so is it classless yes will it send a subnet mask in the updates yes it will right does it supports manual summarization yes is it cisco's proprietary protocol no it's not right but does it sends uh, routing updates to over multicast ip address yes and what about the convergence in ospf now these are the algorithms right for igp routing protocols right so the distance vector algorithm it is used by rip right ospf it uses link state algorithm right now when we are talking about ospf right before that you should know about administrative distance what is administrative distance anyone who has heard about administrative distance before now many companies and organizations they use single routing protocol right and in some cases a company needs to use multiple routing protocols as well so let's say two if two companies connect their networks so that they can exchange uh, information they need to exchange some routing information right if one company uses ospf and others uses eigrp on at least one router so both ospf and eigrp must be used right then 
that router can take routes which are learned by OSPF and advertise them to the EIGRP and vice versa, right? And that process is known as route redistribution. Now, depending on the network topology, the two routing protocols might learn routes to be to the same subnet. When a single routing protocol learns multiple routes to the same subnet, the metric tells at which route is best, right? Now, when two different routing protocols, they, uh, they learn the routes to the same subnet because uh, each routing protocol metric is based on different information. So iOS, it cannot compare the metrics. Right. For example, let's say OSPF, it might learn route to uh, any other subnet with any subnet with, uh, let's say the subnet is 10.1.1.0. Right. So OSPF, it learned the route from subnet uh, to the subnet this with metric 101. EIGRP might learn a route to the same subnet with metric. 219516 right but the EIGRP learned route might be better route or it might not be right so there is simply no basis for comparison between two metrics right so when iOS it must choose between diff routes learned from using different routing protocols iOS uses a concept called administrative distance right and it is a number that denotes how believable an entire routing protocol is on a single router the lower the number the better or more believable the routing protocol is right so let's say rip uh, it has 120 right so by default administrative distance for RIP is 120 OSPF uses 110 right EIGRP by default 90 right so when we are using OSPF and EIGRP router will believe EIGRP route instead of OSPF route right the administrative distance values are configured on a single router and they are not exchanged with other routers right so these are the administrative distances written in the table by default these are the administrative distances perfect now let's dive into ospf so routing protocols they basically exchange information why so that routers can learn the routes the routers learn information about subnets routes to those subnets and metric information about how good each route is compared to others so the routing protocol can then choose the currently best route to each subnet building the ip routing table right 
now link state as it is written uh, here you can see ospf is a link state routing protocol used in computer networks to determine the best path for data to travel from its source to its destination right so ospf takes a different approach to the particulars of what information they exchange and what the routers do with that information once it is learned right so ospf does something which is known as link state advertisement right now let's discuss about those things so link state as as i said ospf is a link state routing protocol right so link state protocol they build ip routes with a couple of major steps first routers together build a lot of information about the network right the routers the links the ip addresses status information and so on then the routers flood the information so that all the routers know the same information at that point each router can calculate routes to all subnets but from each router's own perspective right so the routers which are using link state routing protocols need to collectively advertise practically every detail about the inter network to all the other routers and at the end of the process of flooding the information to all the routers every router in the inter network has the same information about the inter network right now flooding a lot of detailed information to every router sounds like uh, it's a lot of work and relative to distance vector routing protocol it is right ospf the most popular link state ip routing protocol it organizes topology information using link state advertisement and lsdb link state database right now the thing is about topology information now here you can see lsa right lsa written so each lsa is a data structure with some specific information about the network topology right and lsdb is what lsdb is simply the collection of all the lsas known as known to the router so this is lsdb here you can see all the lsas right now in this process we can see the flooding process so router 8 is creating and flooding its router's lsa the router lsa for our router 8 describes the router itself including the existence of the subnet as seen on the uh, as seen here r8 sending the original lsa for itself and other uh, routers flooding the lsa by forwarding it until every router has a copy so the flooding process causes every router to learn the contents of the lsa while preventing the lsa from being flooded around in circles so basically before sending an lsa to yet another neighbor router 
communicate asking do you already have this LSA and then sending the LSA to the next router only if the neighbor has not learned about the LSA right once flooded routers do occasionally reflood each LSA so router reflood and LSA when some information changes they also reflood each LSA based on the LSA's separate aging timer right which is by default 30 minutes the next thing is applying digextra SPF math to find the best route right now you might have if someone is from the mathematics background you might have heard, heard about the digextra uh, algorithm it was having a like very heavy um, calculations the link state flooding process results in every router having an identical copy of the database lsdb right every router will be having a copy of the lsdb of another router right in the memory but the flooding process alone does not cause a router to learn what routes to add to the ip routing table although incredibly detailed and useful the information in the lsdb does not explicitly state each router's best route to reach a destination so to build routes the link state routers have to do some math right so this algorithm is known as digextra's spf algorithm right all the link state protocols they use this math algorithm digextra shortest path first algorithm to process the database so that algorithm analyzes the database and builds the route that the local router should add to the ip routing table right routes that list a subnet number and a mask and outgoing interface and a next hop routers ip address right so here we can see the steps initialization right start with the source router setting its cost to zero check neighbors calculate cost to directly connected neighbors updating if a lower cost is found select next router choose the neighbor with the lowest cost as the next router repeat and mark repeat st uh, the steps two and three until all routers are marked as processed shortest path three so there is a tree which shows the best path to all the routers from the source and then populate each router's routing table with the best path from the shortest path tree right so there are three phases right so how these uh, ospf accomplish the work of exchanging the lsas and calculating the routes by first by becoming ospf neighbors right what do you mean by becoming ospf neighbors becoming neighbors a relationship between two routers that connect to the same data link created so that the neighboring routers have a means to exchange their databases then exchanging the databases so the process of sending the LSA to neighbor so that 
all routers learn the same LSAs, right? Then adding the best route. So all the routers, they learn from same LSA, right? As we discussed. Now the process of uh, each router independently running the SPF, right? On their local copy of the database. Calculating the best routes and adding those IP4 route to the IP4 routing table, right? So the main thing here is all the things that you learned about OSPF. OSPF neighbors concept have the most to do with how you will configure and troubleshoot OSPF in the router, right? You configure OSPF to cause routers to run OSPF and become neighbors with other routers. Once that happens, OSPF does the rest of the work to exchange the LSAs and calculate the routers in the background with no additional co configuration required. Right. So when we are talking about the neighbors, the OSPF neighbors, these are the routers that both use OSPF and both sit on the same data link. So two routers can become OSPF neighbors if they are connected to the same VLAN or same serial link or same Ethernet wide area network link. Right. Now, two routers, they need to do more than simply exist on the same link to become OSPF neighbors. They must send OSPF messages and agree to become the neighbors, right? So what they do, they send OSPF hello messages, introducing themselves to the neighbor. Assuming the two potential neighbors, they have compatible OSPF parameters, right? Then these two things, they form an OSPF neighbor relationship that would be displayed in the output of like uh, if you run a command in the router right uh, the command is show IP OSPF neighbor right if you run this command you will get it in the output right now this neighbor relationship also lets the OSPF know when a neighbor might not be a good option for routing packet right now. Yes. Now let's say these are the two routers, right? Which are in front of us, right? So let's imagine, uh, Router 1 and Router 2, they form a neighbor relationship and they learn LSAs and calculate the routes that send packets through the other router. Now, months later, the Router 1 noted, noticed that the neighbor relationship with our Router 2 has failed. That failed neighbor connection to Router 2 makes Router 1 react. So, Router 1 will reflood the LSAs impacted by the failed link. And router one runs SPF to recalculate its own routes. Right? So finally, the OSPF neighbor model, it allows the new routers to be dynamically discovered. Right? And that means new routers can be added to the network without requiring every router to be reconfigured.
instead ospf routers they listen for ospf hello messages from new routers and react to those messages right then they attempt to become neighbors and exchange the databases so these were the things bit about the ospf